really appreciated the, the time to reflect and pray, and I was amazed how much God was just speaking into my life in that time. So much to be grateful for and to be thankful for. And I uh, just want to pray as we enter into this new year, just especially thinking about new beginnings, and God is the, the one who makes all things new, he says. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that you are the God who says, Behold, I am making all things new. Lord, there is so much in our lives that needs to be made new. You said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who renews. You are the one, Lord, who always has a redemptive plan. Whether it is in the smallest area of our life that sometimes we wonder if it's big enough to share with you or with others, or whether it is challenges on a colossal scale. Lord, nothing is impossible for you. And so, Lord, as we enter into this new year, we pray, Lord, that you would also give us a new song to sing, maybe a renewed song. Lord, reminding us where you have brought us from and where you are taking us to. And we thank you that you have made this commitment, Lord, to make all things new. Amen. I want to invite you to a post-Christmas thought experiment. Okay? In the words of uh, the Beatles star John Lennon, imagine what the world would be like if indeed there was no heaven, no hell, nothing to live for, nothing to die for, no religion. Imagine what it would be like if Jesus had never come. Paul, actually in 1 Corinthians 15, encourages a thought experiment. On that occasion, he said, what if Jesus' resurrection had not happened? It was sobering as he contemplated the results. Well, among many in the world today, the dream of a world with no religion persists and has even been sung with religious-like fervor at many public gatherings, including the, you may recall, the opening ceremony of the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea. Ironically, I think, South Korea had several neighboring states that have tried no religion for quite some time and still found an awful lot to kill and die for. The vacuum left by the removal of religion from the public square was filled with a totalitarian state, the loss of freedom for millions, concentration camps, and the most savage wars in history. Yet religious skeptics and atheists like uh, Richard Dawkins and the late Christopher Hitchens have so loudly and repeatedly claimed religion is evil that many people have come to believe it's true that the world would be a far better place without any and every God delusion. It has become politically correct to call Christianity an oppressor religion with a history of impeding science and freedom. Now, we of all people know that the followers of Jesus Christ have been far from perfect. 
And there are times we have participated in collective sins we should be ashamed of. Reminded of Paul's words in, in Romans 2 verse 24. When he says, you know, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He says in some of their worst moments. But if the full, full record were to be examined, not just the deficits, it would be show the positive impact of Christ and his followers. They far, far outweigh the bad, which is the main reason behind a new six-week series that we are starting today. What if Jesus had never come? Here's a sample trailer. the gospel goes where it's received and allowed to flourish. That society improves. That's not my opinion, that's just history. If Jesus had never been born, there would have been no Western civilization. Europe is nothing without the gospel. Equality, liberty, uh, due process, accountability, and the rule of law, they all have Christian roots. Christianity has actually fostered and supported the development of what we now call the sciences throughout the ages. If we look at ancient Roman culture, women were so devalued that they were often killed at birth. Jesus countered not just the Roman culture, but he countered the Jewish culture of his day. Jews have been far better off in Christian societies than in pagan societies. Many of our greatest artists, musicians, painters, sculptors, have themselves been devout Christians, giving their best talents simply to express their love for Jesus and their belief in him. Well, if Jesus had never been born, this world would be unrecognizable for us. In her book, Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin points out how eight years before the Beatles stars saying, imagine, another person went public with a very different dream. He dreamed that one day in Alabama, the most racial, racist and segregated place in America, little black boys and black girls will be able to hold hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. In Dr. Martin Luther King's vision, such peace and brotherhood sprang not from a loss of faith, but from its fulfillment. He shared the prophet Isaiah's dream that one day every valley will be exalted, every hill and mountain be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places made straight, and the glory 
of the Lord shall be revealed. The fullest flowering of Isaiah's vision happened in the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus claimed that in him the kingdom was breaking into the world, transforming in lives in ways that people had never seen before. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33, Jesus described the kingdom of heaven to his listeners using two very simple but transformative parables. The parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. Let's read those. Matthew chapter 13. I'm not putting the text up there today because I want you to look at it in your Bibles. I've heard a few words that, why bother bringing my Bible? He puts it up there every week. Okay, we can play at that. (laughs) Open up your Bible. There's Bibles at the back if you need. Uh, You just put up your hand and the usher will get you a Bible. Because I know some of you just have it on your phone, which is good, but boy, there's still nothing quite like having it where you can see it on the page and take it to heart. So the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast or leaven. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows... It is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in about 60 pounds or 27 kilograms, almost three bags of flour until it worked its way through the dough. Now, these parables certainly apply to the lives of people in whom Jesus and his message take root and grow. But they also apply to Christianity in the world. Christianity's roots were small and humble. In the words of Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus grew up like a tender shoot and like a a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. A little mustard seed. (laughs) Ah, but what power. Most of Jesus' earliest followers had humble origins, yet as the church grew, it, it began to grow and permeate the lives of the societies in which it took root, producing more good than any other movement in history. To get an overview, which is to, today is mainly an overview, but an overview of some of the positive contributions Christ and his followers have made through the centuries, here's a few highlights. Hospitals. Most of them began in the Middle Ages. Many of them still bear the name of the faith that started them. Take St. Paul's, for example. Did you know the history about that? It should be on a plaque out in, in front, right? That... Uh, The Sisters of Providence established schools, hospitals, orphanages, homes for the aged, and asylums across Canada, the United States, and later in many other countries. Just the flourishing and flowering of this. Universities. Universities began in the Middle Ages. Uh, Charlemagne 
was, uh, was the one who, who oh, sorry, that's a different part of it, but began in, the, in the, wor- the world's universities were started mainly by Christians for Christian purposes. Uh, literacy. Literacy, not just for the, edu- for the elite, but literacy for all people in societies. Charlemagne hired uh, Alcyon in, uh, in the 8th century to provide as much education for the people of the Holy Roman Empire as he could. But the Reformation was when, because the Bible was now available to people in their language, and they needed to learn to read, and literacy took off as people were taught everybody we want to learn. Codifying and setting to writing many of the world's languages. Remember hearing Dr. Laman Sana, a longtime professor at Harvard University, who grew up in Africa, talk about how it was the missionaries who came and uh, put, they saved our, most of our cultures the most, he said, because they wrote down our language. They learned our language. They said, you need to have God's word in your own language. And he said, little did they realize the effect of that was a great preservative in so many ways. Uh, the abolition of slavery in ancient times and in more modern times. If you've never seen the, the movie uh, Amazing Grace, the story of William Wilberforce. That's your assignment, then, to watch that. Compassion and charity. We even have a law, yes, even in Canada, the Good Samaritan Law. Wonder where that came from, right? Uh, and, of course, we saw the origins of St. Paul Hospital, many other orphanages, and uh, homes for the aged and asylums. Um, modern science. Most people don't realize how many of the pioneers of modern science were Christians. You want a quick sample quiz? Yes, okay, we're up for it. Okay, let's try a couple different categories on modern science. You know, who's the big name who founded antiseptic surgery? Anybody know? Joseph Lister. You ever heard of him? Ah, Christian, strong Christian. How about uh, astronomy? Now, there's four really big names. There's more, but four really big names. Copernicus, Brahe, Kepler, Galileo. Kepler, I didn't know this, he was the first to explain that tides were caused by the moon. But the undeniable fact that these men were devout Christians which influenced their scientific work is often omitted in scientific text. Bacteriology, who's the big name there? Mm. Pasteurizing, yeah, Louis Pasteur. Pasteurizing. Think about that next time you pick up your jug of milk and it says pasteurized. Calculus. Newton, Isaac Newton. I, I'm, I understand, I remember watching years ago, he, developed, he wrote, developed calculus at the same speed that most first-year students learn it. it isn't really, he locked himself away because he had a theory and he didn't want to emerge till he had proved it. And, he, and so he mapped it out. I don't, not recommend it, but, but he did that. Uh, chemistry. They have something called a certain law. It starts with a B. I know, it's a pop quiz, right? You weren't prepared for this. Uh, Robert Boyle, 
Robert Boyle. Computer science. Any computer scientists know the... Not Neumann. I've got Charles Babbage as the originator of that. That could be, uh, you know, I could be corrected, but this is... Uh, physics. I mean, we could go on. There's, an, there's another, another list. We could go on here. Although I... Is there oceanographer here? No. Okay, I just threw that one in just in case. I didn't know that Matthew Morey was the founder of oceanography, the currents and things. He was actually injured, and so he, but he was still interested in the work, and it actually gave him more time to figure out all of that stuff. Well, I could go on. Now, notice in the list of the, uh, the positive contributions, we haven't even mentioned the greatest contribution of all the gift of eternal life that Jesus came to bring to all people. When Jesus came to earth, when he became human, he gave all humans, not just a select few, like the rich and powerful and famous, all people a dignity and value higher than they had ever dreamed of before. Uh, A French engineer and professional from the past liked to ask his new students the question, what is the most important thing to come out of a mine? Well, many mentioned, you know, numerous precious metals and minerals, but he would correct them by saying, the most important thing ever to come out of a mine is the miner. (laughs) Yeah, yes, I agree, and probably most of you do too. But that view of human life is not as self-evident as many mistakenly assume. This view of human, that human life is sacred is embraced only where the gospel of Jesus Christ has taken root and had its leaven-like influence. Prior to the coming of Christ, human life on this planet was incredibly cheap. Life was expendable in the ancient world prior to Christ's influence, and even today in parts of the world where the gospel of Christ and his influence is not permeated, life is exceedingly cheap. There is an increasing dehumanization in our own society that is making life increasingly cheap once again. You've heard the old saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. (laughs) But when the early Christians arrived in Rome, they did not do as the Romans did. They defied the entire Roman system of morality. As sociology professor Alvin Schmidt notes in his book, How Christianity Changed the World. The low value of life among Romans was a shocking affront to the Christians. Like their Jewish ancestors, they believed that people were made in the image of God. They also knew that God so honored human life that he himself became human in the person of Jesus Christ. Unlike the Romans, Schmidt notes, Christians did not hold human life to be cheap and expendable. It was to be honored and protected at all costs, regardless of its form or quality. And by doing so, they countered many depravities that depreciated human life. How did the Roman world depreciate human life? It's worth knowing. In the ancient world, child sacrifice, for example, was common. 
Archaeologists unearthed ancient cemeteries near pagan temples and near brothels where babies were sacrificed and killed en masse. It was a dangerous thing to be a baby. It was a dangerous thing for a baby to be conceived in the classical Roman or Greek world and many other cultures. Just as it is becoming dangerous once more under the influence of what I would call modern paganism. It is estimated that only half of the children born in the ancient world live beyond the age of eight. Because of disease? No, in large part because of infanticide, which was one writer called infamously universal among the Greeks and Romans during the period of early Christianity. It was common for sick and unwanted babies to be taken out into the forests or the mountainsides to be consumed by wild animals or to starve. Parents virtually abandoned all deformed babies and often abandoned female babies because women were considered inferior. Some were killed more brutally as an act of worship. Child sacrifices, we see some of that in the Canaanite cultures in the Old Testament and when Israel even adopted it for a time. Plutarch, uh, just around the time of the first century, uh, mentions the Carthaginians, who he says, I know this is gruesome, but you need to get a window I, sometimes. They offered up their own children, and those who had no children would buy little ones from poor people and cut their throats as if they were so many lambs or young birds. And meanwhile, the mother stood by without a tear or moan. So common was infanticide uh, that Polybius, a hundred years before Christ, blamed the population decline in ancient Greece. He said the population decline is because of infanticide. It's not that there aren't enough babies born. It's that they're, they're killed and exposed. And by the way, historical research shows that infanticide was common not only in the Greco-Roman culture, but in any, many other cultures around the world as well. In India, China, Japan, the Brazilian jungles as, among, as well as among the Inuit, the indigenous people of North and South America. The early Christians in the Greco-Roman world called the practice of infanticide murder, and they organized what could be described as baby hunts. That is, to hunt down and to find these abandoned infants and then to care for them. They took these human castaways into their homes and adopted them. Jesus words of warning and his words of welcome regarding children were embraced and embodied. Remember Jesus' words, Matthew 18, if anything, you know, against these little ones to perish, better that a millstone be tied around that person's neck and cast into the sea. And, and in the next chapter, chapter 19, there's Jesus, let the little children come to me, for such as these is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to ones like this. Radical. Radical in the ancient world. And any values that we have are gleaned, are from deposit, if you will, of what Jesus influenced. When in Rome, the early Christians did not do as the Romans did. They did as Christ did. They took to heart the words of the Apostle Paul, written 
to the church in Rome. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And they knew what that pattern looked like. But, Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to think totally differently. The mind of Christ. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Significant as the influence of Christianity has been in areas like valuing all of human life, recent trends indicate major dehumanizing trends. Just finished uh, Andy Steiger's uh, recent book, Reclaimed, How Jesus Restores Our Humanity in a Dehumanized World. In Jesus, he said, we find not only that humans are unique, valuable, and bearers of rights and responsibilities, but also that our dehumanizing tendencies, our worst inclinations towards inhumanity, can be redeemed and restored. Jesus enables us to be fully human. And it's in him that we discover the kind of relationships in society which so many people today are longing for. In a world that longs to break free from any and every God delusion, I'm reminded of a story, a closing story, that took place during World War II on a remote island in the Pacific. An American soldier met an indigenous person who could read, and he also noticed that the man was carrying a Bible. When he saw the Bible, the soldier said to him, we educated people no longer put much faith in that book. And the the man who was from a tribe of former uh, cannibals said to the soldier, well, It's good for you that we put faith in this book. Otherwise, you would be eaten by my people. Now, this is only one illustration, but it is an important one that demonstrates what the world would be like if Jesus had never come. And what it is like because he has come and is continuing his transforming work in and through those who put their faith in him. Is there an area of your life or your work that you long for Jesus' transforming power? For mustard seeds to take root, for the leaven to work its way. Maybe it's in your own life. You say, is that really possible? It is. It is. If you allow him to be Lord of your life, and if you allow him, through his Holy Spirit, to permeate every area of your life. Transformation is not only possible, it is probable. It will happen. As the worship team comes up, I want to invite you Let's pray with open hands. Maybe it's your whole life that you're saying, Lord, I want you to renew me. I want you to work with leaven like like power into my life. Or maybe it's in a particular area of life. I want you to offer that and invite him in. Let us pray.
Oh, Lord Jesus. It is a scary thing to think what the world would be like if you had not come, what our lives would be like if you had never come. Lord, you are the master of transformation. And we come to you today, Lord, asking you to make our lives new, to transform our very way of thinking, our values, so that they, Lord, conform to yours, so that we, Lord, might be made more into the image of Jesus, and that you might use us, Lord, also to to change maybe our family, our workplace, our community, Lord, maybe even the world, for your honor and for your glory and for the good of all. Amen. Thank you for leading us in worship. Jesus taught us a prayer that really goes along with that song, didn't he? The Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I encourage you to pray that. I know we had uh, not long ago in December, Sam Dick was here from uh, Multiply encouraging us to pray that. I would encourage us to continue to pray that, maybe especially that line, thinking about areas where you want or we need God's kingdom to come. Amen? Just a reminder on your way out, if you take the communion cups uh, with you and put them in the garbage afterwards, that would be great. I see that there is still some bread out there. Is that what you want, Yosef? Yes, I see the thumbs up on that. So uh, the Cobb's bread ministry that we have, that bread is free. So if you would like some, please pick that up. If you would like prayer, we've got some people available from our prayer team that will be up here at the front, and they would love to take the opportunity to pray with you. And if you want to give to the Elder Care Fund, somebody asked me a while ago, does it have to be really big? I said, it can be $5, $10, and you want know it adds up over time. And uh, when we had a repair that we needed help, a car repair this last year, then there's money there available for that. So thank you for that. Let us go and serve the Lord.